0: The Apple of Truth, our bi-weekly podcast where we nerd out about our favorite TV shows.
1: Currently, we're covering every single episode of Good Omens, based on the book by Sir Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. And because we are who we are, we focus on details you didn't need, but for sure deserved.
0: I'm Vero. And I'm Lena, And today we're talking about season two, chapter one. The Arrival. Ah! Eh. Season 2! We've made it! Who saw it coming?
1: Well, who did not get spoiled and who got spoiled? I didn't. I got spoiled, so...
0: I have very selective viewing. Eyes. (laughs) Brain. seeing, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Perception. So I've seen a lot of posts, especially in the last two days, because unexpectedly, even though we have been convinced by... uh, something that it's gonna drop one by one it dropped all at the same time
1: yeah and this means now i cannot go on twitter anymore
0: <laughs> yeah i had to mute a lot of words and then the muting didn't work anyway
1: i got spoiled on some things. I will not comment on them, but I will say when we reach certain things that this is what I got spoiled on, Okay. but I will not reference them in the future. But nothing in this episode is anything that I was spoiled on, (laughs) which is not surprising because there is nothing explained in this episode, which leads me to the summary. After learning how everything got started, we get a naked and confused Gabriel, a fight between our husbands, some new characters and a very confused Lena. (laughs) Because girl, I am so confused. I'm so fucking confused. I have so many questions. I don't understand anything. It's very curious where this is going to go.
0: I am very excited because the only thing I heard from my friends, because my friends are nice and they didn't actually speak to me after learning my plans... (laughs) The only thing that I have been told is that it's absolutely amazing and that I'm going to love it. So uh, I am very, very hype. However, I do to have quite a lot of questions specifically after this episode and we'll see how that goes for us because with our current plan, it's going to take a good while before we get them answered. <laughs>
1: Well, a month. If we manage it the way I envision it, we will be done with recording everything within the month of August.
0: Yes, however, that's still 30 days too long. (laughs) I mean, you can
1: also binge it and then record it with me, but we shall see how it goes.
0: Nope. Did
1: you prepare a most British word of the episode?
0: I have prepared a word of the episode. (laughs) Okay. So actually, I had to give the episode a third watch in order to find a word because I was so amazed and into the episode and the details of everything that was happening that I completely forgot to pay attention to the words the first two times I watched it.
1: I only managed to do it because the word I picked, I didn't know and I've never heard. So I was like... What? That's a word? And also my Google Doc doesn't know it. It makes it red as if it's wrong. So I was like, And this is why I picked it.
0: So is that because you have it set for American English? Or is it because... No,
1: my documents are always set to UK English. Weird.
0: Well, anyway, let's get my word out of the way. Because I love this word. And I very rarely use it. And I think I should use it more. And I think people should use it more in general. Because... (laughs) It's just so beautiful. It's oodles.
1: Oodles. That is a great word. I'm very happy with your choice of word.
0: It's a great word. However, there is a surprisingly little known about the etymology of this word. It is not British is what I have learned. Merriam-Webster dictionary defines it as a lot or a great quantity. It also says that its origin is unknown. But there is obviously a few different theories. What we know for sure is that the first mention is based somewhere around the year 1867. And one of the theories is that it is connected to the saying kit and caboodles, which comes from a Tennessee-based American English. It means everyone or a large collection of things. That is all I was able to research on this, unfortunately. But oodles. And I just love how David Tennant says it as well. Oodles.
1: Oodles. I love how you say it. My word of the episode is... Illimitable.
0: Oh, I thought about that one, but I just kind of figured. What did you think it meant?
1: No, I was like, this time for once, I was not confused about what it probably would mean. But because, like I said, my document made it read as a, this is not an actual word. So I was like, oh, did they maybe misspell it or something or mispronounce it actually? No, they did not. It is an actual word, but it has fallen out of fashion. And this is why we don't use it anymore
0: is not fashionable?
1: Yes, and this is probably why Google Doc Dictionary is not familiar with it. Because it simply is not very actively used anymore. The word itself, sadly, is very, very boring because it comes through Middle English and Old French. And then, of course, from Latin. And it's from in, which is the negation with not, obviously. And if you have in something sometimes with if the following word starts with a consonant then it might get adjusted for it so if the following one is an r it might change into ir instead of in so like irreplaceable irreparably irreparable or something but in this case inlimitable would then be illimitable so The letter just changes. And of course, limit comes from Latin limitare to bound limit fix. And I included for once the link that I use for my etymology stuff, because they have a trend for the word. And you can see that the last time it was in fashion was in 1840. (laughs) But it's been slightly on the rise for a while. So maybe maybe it's coming back. Maybe it's coming back. But originally it is from the late 1400s, 1500s. For the adjective itself, it says here 1590s. So lovely. did not have a very long run. But then, of course, because I'm me, I clicked on a few more following links. And I highly recommend reading up on the definitions for limited as an adjective. Because apparently in English, limited something something always happened through different times... Throughout history Like you have Limited edition Is something that was used In from the point 1869 forward, but limited monarchy was something that was used from 1640s. Like limited was not always simply just used as a nilly willy adjective, but apparently there's more specified limited usages of the word limited.
0: <laughs> well, uh, the limit does not exist.
1: Yeah, and the limit as noun or adjective much more in favour currently. So probably why it's more widely used and not marked as a non-existing word. And that concludes my, not really British, but at least words of the episode.
0: <laughs> I love that we are both like, oh, different reasons behind choosing this word, but they're both from the first scene. <laughs> Basically.
1: My, I think mine is not the first, is it? No, you're oh. right. It's from the first.
0: It is from the cold open because I also rewatched the cold open. I have seen at least eight times because I love it so much. Oh, wow. We're going to talk about why I love it so much because there is a bit that I wrote down and bit that I... Just remember
1: (laughs) We're gonna talk about it When we get to it But before we can talk about The actual episode There are some small things We need to talk about In the facts and funds (gasps) So I did not look into the Good Omen season two facts and funds because I did not want to spoil myself more. And sometimes even though they are supposed to have a separate category for spoiler trivia, sometimes something sneaks through. So I only looked into the facts and fun bits for episode one and it is very, very little. There is exactly one trivia entry for episode one. And that is, when Aziraphale and Crowley are in Give Me Coffee or Give Me Death, the background music is a classical
0: instrumental version of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. That's interesting. Well, because we're back on Amazon, or rather because I get to watch on Amazon... There is also a trivia that is on the Amazon Prime background. There was one thing that where they mentioned something about when Crowley is driving past a certain shop. It is a shopfront of where the post-production office sits.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I didn't write it down because I I just figured that if you do have access to it, you would probably see it. But we can come back to it or you can just read it on Amazon. So actually, Lina didn't do her homework for this
1: episode. So we had to do it afterwards and inserted it. So if we refer to this not existing in the episode, it didn't. But it's called post-production. The Amazon notes from episode one. In order of the episode. In our world, the Leonard. Bernstein conducted version of Shostakovich Symphony Number no. 5 in D minor was actually recorded as a 33 and not a 78. If you don't know vinyl this makes no sense, if you do know vinyl this makes sense. A personal Easter egg from co-showrunner and director Douglas McKinnon. he says, Leonard Bernstein conducts the New York Symphony Orchestra playing Shostakovich's fifth in D minor. I obsessively listened to Bernstein's conducted work during the COVID-19 lockdown. I love that. Next up. There are red ballet shoes on the door of the coffee shop. This is a nod to Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes. Remember those names, I will come back to them. The number plate on the Bentley is the word curtain backwards. It took me until episode 2 to figure that out. This is a tribute to Terry Gilliam in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. In an animated section in that film, there is a mausoleum with that same inscription above the door. Ah, Aziraphale finds the name Jim from his books. The books are Lord Jim, but also Jim Hawkins from the Treasure Island. Crowley's car goes past the post-production office in London. It's above the Black Shopfront. Eccles Cakes are named after a town called Eccles in Lancashire. They are small round pies made with currant and pastry. The coffee shop is called Give Me Coffee or Give Me Death, referencing the 18th century American politician Patrick Henry's famous quote, Give me liberty or give me death. (laughs) Darth Moore is known for being featured in The Hound of Baskervilles by Arthur Conan Doyle. I knew that one, actually, but mm-hmm. I didn't make the connection. <laughs> this is taken. I'm going to explain in a moment. This is the season two edition of The Maggot Scene from season one. This is in reference to when Beltabub is appearing inside the Bentley with the flies. Ah. So, yeah, they wanted to give us apparently one disgusting scene in each season.
0: Good. That means that there is no more, right? Hopefully. <laughs>
1: The song Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy is Queen's only soundtrack appearance in season two, although they are in many other places in string sextet versions. So I expect you to find every single Queen string sextet version throughout the entire season two.
0: I mean, you've already given us the one in chapter one, which is yes. when they're sitting in the coffee shop. You should have told me this before I watched episode two, but I will keep it in mind from now on.
1: Well, obviously, I did tell you because this is an episode one. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. She's so proud of herself. The klekson from heaven is similar to the klekson played in the... Powell and Pressburger's film, A Matter of Life and Death. I said, remember those names. I'm going to come back to them again. The background outside the viewing space in heaven includes, as well as various world landmarks, which I totally missed, the Quilin Hills mountain range from the Isle of Skye. This is where Douglas McKinnon, the director, is from.
0: Aw, little little home Those oh, were gosh. the
1: official notes from Amazon. But because I'm me... And Powell and Pressburger keep getting mentioned in this Mm -hmm. episode, or at least in the references for this episode, and my future me tells me they will keep coming up. I thought I should check them out for a moment. And so since they keep getting mentioned, I included a short info. The two of them, Powell and Pressburger, had a production company together called The Archers. And together they made 24 films between 1939 and 1972. They wrote a manifesto for their company with five points. Number one. We owe allegiance to nobody except the financial interests which provide our money and, to them, the sole responsibility of ensuring them a profit, not a loss. Two. Every single foot in our films is our own responsibility and nobody else's. We refuse to be guided or coerced by any influence but our own judgement. Third, when we start to work on a new idea we must be a year ahead. Not only of our competitors but also of the times. A real film, from idea to universal release, takes a year or more. Number four, no artist believes in escapism. We secretly believe that no audience does. We have proved at any rate that they will pay to see the truth for other reasons than her nakedness. And five, at any time and particularly at the present, the self-respect of all collaborators from star to propman is sustained or diminished by the theme and purpose of the film they are working on.
0: Interesting. And in a
1: time where production companies were not like regulated as we know today, this was very impressive to me. Mm Mm-hmm. So I definitely wanted to include it.
0: Also, it's interesting in the current um, With the strike and everything. So yeah. The strike and everything, yeah. Yeah, British film critics
1: gave the films of Powell and Pressburger mixed reactions at that time, acknowledging their creativity, but sometimes questioning their motivations and taste. For better or worse, the Archers were always out of step with mainstream British cinema. From the 1970s onwards, though, British critical opinion began to revise this lukewarm assessment of them, with their first BFI retrospective in 1970 and another in 1978. They are now seen as playing a key part in the history of British film and have become influential and iconic for many filmmakers of later generations, such as Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola and George R. Romero, among others. Interesting. I highly recommend clicking the link and mm-hmm. just going through the list of their movies because you will recognize some things. I'm pretty sure. All right. And that concludes the facts and funds for episode one, which I Yay. totally did not record in a later time. But I want to include two other things. So obviously, Balzac got recast, as mm-hmm. we see, because new face. What, mm-hmm. this whole thing? And the reason for that is a scheduling conflict. The original actor for Bib is Anna Maxwell Martin. And she had a scheduling conflict. And this is why she could not return to continue her role. So there was no drama or anything. That was the reason behind it. It was just bad timing. Sad. And secondly, Shax is played by Miranda Richardson. And if you're like me and you never recognize why you know someone, I want to be helpful and say Miranda Richardson is who played Rita Skeeter in the Harry Potter movies.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah, thank you. I didn't even think of it until you mentioned... That you know her from somewhere. My brain was just on the back burner. Our
1: other new characters, I did not see anything where I was like, oh, okay. So I did not include anything. We're gonna talk about Nina because what? But we're gonna talk about that when we reach her first. All right. Chapter. Okay. You do know that the actress is called Nina. Yeah. And her character is called Nina, even though it's sister Mary. Why would you? It's the same name, Nina. Nina. Okay. You did not. Is she
0: the? Oh. Yeah. That's the thing. I did not realize that. Oh my God. We'll get to it then. Okay. So, (laughs) okay. Let's get ready for this skedaddle fun entertainment future 13 hours of recording
1: Pardon. I mean you don't have a previously on so it's gonna be shorter in the next few episodes I
0: do have a previously on <gasps> oh you
1: did write one for season one No. Nice. it's not too
0: long but it is there and it's you know that makes me very happy I'm sorry please take it away Bob so before we get into the proper episode let's learn what was previously on good omens Because we have a previously on. (laughs) In the previous season, we have seen our demon and angel walk us through a possible Armageddon. That, in the end, has been prevented. That landed them on a persona non gratalis for both heaven and hell. But they managed to scare them off enough so that both hosts are letting them live their own existence. For the time being. And now we do not go to the beginning, we go before the beginning.
1: That is absolutely right. And I was very happy that we went to before the beginning because it was very, very beautiful. For all of the scene, I'm very, very happy with the CGI, effects, the design of everything. It was incredibly beautiful.
0: It reminded me very heavily all the new pictures we get from the new telescope. They're, uh, yes. They're just so much more, you know, vibrant. exact and vibrant and everything. and I feel like this is one of the reasons why this whole scene looks so incredible because we have these pictures now we have the technology we have the technology so it's just so beautiful and the music that's playing with it and you just see that Crowley loves the universe with his entire being
1: which is so so sweet A. I was ecstatic that we see Crowley as an angel because so far we really haven't Mm -mm. and he's a very happy and gay and vibrant and energized angel. It's very, very sweet.
0: He was giving me very strong 10 vibes. I'm not gonna lie. It's probably just the connection to the universe and his excited face.
1: He was giving me more happy artist vibes. With the look at this beautiful thing I created and I'm so proud of it and it's so adorable and so beautiful. Mm. It was just, it was very, very sweet. So very happy. But of course I was very confused because the words he says are Christian canonically the words that happen when God created the universe. And so here, technically, God did not create the universe, but Crowley did. Mm -hmm. So that is interesting.
0: Well, he is just
1: following orders technically, right? But he is saying the words and it is, and God said, let there be light. But here it is not God who says, let there be light. Here it is Crowley to say it. And yes, he is following the blueprint that was probably mostly designed by God in this universe. But still, he is the one making it. He is the one creating it. He is the literal creator of the universe.
0: I know, isn't it so cool?
1: And I do wonder if that is one of the reasons why he was inclined to fall and why in season one he was willing to stand up and fight, not just because of Aziraphale, but also because of his initial love for what he had created.
0: I think so, yeah. I think that this is a very beautiful moment for him where he is looking at the creation of the universe and he is... A part of it. And it's just so such a strong connection. And I think that this is also connected to the reason why he was considering moving to a different planet yeah. for a second there in season one. It feels connected. It feels wholesome. There's always been this love in Crowley for the universe that we didn't really understand. And now we have a reason for it.
1: And on Zerofall, on the other hand, loves humanity and what humanity has created. So... Mm-hmm. Together, of course, they love the whole of creation. But speaking of like being connected and everything, Aziraphale introduces himself with his name, but Crowley doesn't. So this, of course, ties in with then when he is a snake, that he has like a very descriptive name with Crowley, when he's like nah, crawling on the ground and blah, blah, blah. And then mm-hmm. he changes it to Crowley. And so it's very, yeah, it tracks it's well done. You can tell that uh, Neil knows his source material because it is his source material. So I am happy. And of course, we get another tie-in to season one when Crowley says, How much trouble can I get into just for asking a few questions? Yeah. Oh, it was very unhappy
0: and sad. No, I'm very happy. It's so cute.
1: But then everything that comes with it and then the fall and this is what triggers the fall.
0: Yes, but if curiosity is a reason to fall, I want to be a fallen angel. You know what that is?
1: Like in season one, we have several moments where this comes up, mm-hmm. where he is questioning. Yeah,
0: no, so. you're right. It's It's really, really good. And this is just a really nice way to learn what could have possibly make somebody like Crowley fall I mean we don't have it 100% confirmed because we're not seeing him fall we're not seeing him asking actual questions or making suggestions but it is suggested Mm -hmm. that this might be one of the reasons he ended up down rather than up we
1: learned why he fell in season 1 because he asked the wrong question and he hanged with the wrong crowd
0: he hanged with the wrong crowd yeah
1: two reasons and asking questions is probably Play, the reason why he started hanging with the wrong crowd but when you look at like the supposed lore lucifer fell because he refused to accept mankind as the uh, superior creation la 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 and crowley is not accepting of the fact that all of this will be destroyed in 6000 years so he is not accepting of the plan and not being in concert with the ineffable plan is of course a falling offense and if several creatures are together not in favor of the ineffable plan then they might fall together even though there's nothing else that connects them.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Zirafell, right? He, throughout this first scene, through this cold open, he clearly is intrigued by Crowley. For example, when Crowley says, Look at you, you're gorgeous, he goes to look at Crowley. And his face is like, Oh, he wasn't talking to me. Okay. Oh, yeah, sure. The universe is gorgeous. Great. Uh huh. But the little details of Michael Sheen's face in this moment, and this is not the only moment in this episode where the acting is. It's just, it's so good and it makes it so funny. It's the little details that we get. And same can be said for David Tennant. He is doing absolutely amazing job in uh, translating the love and excitement and all the fun, amazing emotions that Crowley is experiencing just staring into the nebula. (sighs)
1: Of course, both of their acting. I'm, I'm not even like mentioning that because we talked about that for another entire season.
0: Well, starting a new season, I have to. I have to say it at least once.
1: But you said with Aziraphale with the uh, beautiful comment to me, Aziraphale. He has never encountered another angel like Crowley, and so he is completely confused by how Crowley is and what he says and how he thinks and acts and everything, because obviously Aziraphale has never questioned once in his life. So I didn't see it as the, oh, I thought you were talking about me as being beautiful, but he's just like very much like, okay, this is very curious, very intriguing, very interesting. But Aziraphale is usually in a state of being flustered, no matter what is happening around him, like <laughs> unless he's by himself and sitting in the bookshop and listening to music. But that is like his only calm state, so to say. And at the very end of this scene, we, of course, have the inverted moment that we have in Paradise in season one. Because here Crowley puts his wing over Aziraphale, which is so cute. adorable and useless because they are outside of actual space so the things are flying from the front so covering from the top does not really like it's cute but it's not really like the the cover against the rain makes more sense than literal planets and debris flying all around you like you would have to enscone him to actually protect him
0: I don't I don't see that as pointless. I see it as a first of all, it's a great throwback to season 1 and second of all, it just feels like there is some sort of a connection that inevitably, is going to bring them together at some point. Maybe that's part of the enough of ineffable plan. So, you know, I don't see it as pointless. I see it as a beginning. Not necessarily beginning of their relationship, because I'm not saying that, that this is a building relationship, But it is a beginning of something.
1: Yeah, literally the universe and humanity, which is what this scene is about.
0: One last thing that I have about this scene, and that is Crowley's hair, is the cutest little thing ever. Because he has this little wave on top of his head, and as he gets angry, it gets really wobbly, and it starts, like, bouncing around, and it's the cutest fucking shit, so... uh, His hair is as agitated as he is. Yes, it is incredible, and I love it. It's also very, very, very red this
1: season, but we're going to we're going to talk about this
0: now we get the opening and it is a new one the music is slightly different i think not Vastly, but it's slightly different. But we are not going to be talking in details about that just yet. Just in case that there are spoilers and there are definitely spoilers in here that we don't need to chat about just yet. So we're going to talk about that in uh, episode 6. Makes the most sense. May smoke sense.
1: If you want to spoiler yourself, there is a link in my notes for someone else who did a lot of screenshots and like frame-by-frame analysis because I'm not the only person... Obsessed with frame by frame.
0: (laughs) I mean, that would be weird if you were the only person in the world, Fandom. But skipping the opening, we are going straight into the shop. We're going to London present day. Yes, and we watch Zerophil grabbing a note that he has in his little post box. And it is a misspelled note.
1: There's one typo in the word urgency and he reads it out with the typo.
0: Which is makes complete sense for Azrafel. And we get to meet Zeraphel's tenant slash neighbor, I suppose. Both. Yeah. And that is Maggie. So what do you think about Maggie?
1: I went through a lot of feelings and opinions with Maggie at the beginning. I thought she was a bit annoying with the, oh, but I can't pay it. When very obviously he's not collecting the rent. And I'm sorry if he hasn't collected rent for eight months. Maybe just accept the fact he's not collecting.
0: I was wondering what prompted this meltdown. Because it feels like, yeah, he hasn't collected the rent for eight months. Why you're suddenly upset about and crying in your shop about having to move Why up. Why
1: are you escalating now? Yeah so in the beginning it was a bit like okay what then throughout the next few scenes she is exhibiting interest in the barista which started out as very cute and then i was extremely annoyed by both of them so then we will see where this goes
0: well this is gonna turn into bitch fest yay
1: (laughs) not gonna lie i don't really care about either maggie or nina at this point so we're gonna see how it goes but i cared much more about the beautiful obsession Aziraphale has with the earthly pleasures of humanity. Because obviously we've seen this the entire season one, but of the two of them, is the one who indulges. Crowley doesn't indulge. He has a few things he likes but he doesn't indulge. And Aziraphale is the definition of indulgence. Hot cocoa, good food, good wine, good music, good books. Like anything and everything that humanity has created of quality, Aziraphale enjoys and indulges himself and it is absolutely adorable how happy he is to get this specific recording and he knows it already very well because he instantly goes, I know what I'm going to be doing the next 21 minutes because he knows exactly how long it
0: is. I mean, it's Shostakovich. It's probably about the same time every time you play it. But this specific version has Leonard Bernstein on the piano. So, obviously, this is the superior version.
1: Which is why he was, like, looking for, exactly, this specific recording. Yes. So... That was for me the most important part. And of course, like later on we learn more about the shop and that apparently her grandfather was already working there and everything and I was like, okay, like if this leads to somewhere, then I will be interested the next time I watch it. But if it doesn't lead somewhere, then I will not care.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that is fair enough. We don't really get anything more in this scene, so we can, I suppose, move to our familiar bench.
1: I'm going to stop calling out the callbacks because there's like fucking 500 of them. Oh yeah, of course. So this is yet another one. But to me, the most visible difference is how red Crowley's hair is. It is so much more intense and vibrant than it was last season. He has red, red hair. Red.
0: I didn't actually pay attention to that. It didn't strike me as odd or anything. I didn't notice it. I'm not going to put it that way. What I have noticed, though, is what he is reading.
1: I did not pay attention to that. I was distracted by
0: the hair. He is reading the Tatfield Advertiser. Ooh. And the front page has a title of an article that says, is Tatfield the best village in the world or ever or something like that, which I found very funny that he still keeps up with Tatfield because that is obviously connected to what happened in Tatfield that season.
1: Also, that is proof that Adam still has his powers.
0: Well, the question is this is the Tatfield advertiser. Doesn't necessarily mean that it is objective to call Tatfield the best village ever. But yes, we could be inclined to believe that Adam is still wreaking his havoc on the village of Tatfield in a best possible way.
1: He is subconsciously influencing his surroundings due to his aura.
0: I would not say wreaking havoc,
1: like that is that implies an active part on Adam's side.
0: Well, now he knows about his powers. So maybe it's a little bit more uh, conscious decision. But we don't know. It is something that we hopefully learn a little bit more about this season. I don't know. I don't
1: think we're gonna get anything of Adam. Because this obviously is setting up like the whole, oh, Gabriel. And heaven says we don't know what happened. And hell says we don't know what happened. I don't feel there's enough space in six episodes to include mm more from the old storylines?
0: It's possible, but also I don't want to disregard anything because right now I'm in my finding clues mode in the first episode. So this is something that might happen and I will be happy to be wrong because I don't like to be right.
1: I would be happy if you're right because then it would actually fit with what I predicted for season two so (laughs) (laughs) if you remember our summoning episode so Crowley is sitting there we get the short interaction with wrong bench which hilarious
0: also did you notice that there was a clarinet actually playing in the score of the music in this scene well no I found that really funny because the code phrase is clarinet can play good music or something like that and there is an actual clarinet playing like in the background no I did not
1: catch a clarinet You're the music person of the two of us, so yay! But Crowley doesn't stay there by himself for long before one of our new characters pops up, and that is Shax. And Shax, I'm not sure yet where I'm gonna put her on my on my list because, on the one hand, I really like her; I enjoy her style, but her not understanding of humanity is grating in a few of the moments when she doesn't understand certain things or she takes them very literal and everything and I get it she hasn't been up there as long as Crowley has because he's the expert on humanity and yadda 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 but that is the type of joke that runs very very quickly cold for me Mm. and so I really hope we're not dragging that out Mm. because otherwise I really appreciate her with the so, I'm going to tell you something, and then you tell me something. It's a tit for tat, like, ha ha! So, she's my type of character. If she gets over the, oh, I don't understand human... Fingers crossed, because I really want to like her.
0: I really enjoyed their interaction because this makes complete sense to me. Because with Crowley gone from the official Hell's, you know, whatever, agenda payroll, there is obviously a need to have a representative on Earth. So uh, her being placed on Earth and not knowing anything about it, because... I don't know, do we have a guess how much time has passed since the Armageddon?
1: I don't think we have any information on that yet. Mm. Maybe the Tedfield newspaper would have provided some insight, but I need to go back and do a frame by frame to see if Mm. there's anything.
0: Like, in my assumption, the way I am kind of feeling watching this, I'd say it's a few months, even if we talk about the fact that Shucks still doesn't have a handle on uh, human behavior, on like basics of it. Although it could be longer because she is talking about, you know, terrible things that people come up with. Has it always been this easy?
1: But then again, humans don't need long to be horrible to each other. So Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That goes into both direction.
0: It's just I'm liking the vibes and I'm liking the uh, interactions so far. What has terrified me when I was watching this the first time, not so much when I was watching the second time because I knew this is not true, is when Crowley says, I don't speak to the guy in the bookshop anymore. And I was like, what do you mean you don't speak <laughs> to the guy? I didn't want to, but I was worried because we had that moment of I'm back in the trailer. True. And it's like anxiety level rising anxiety level rising so this was a lot
1: (laughs) i was more worried because he seems like he's going through a crisis in the way he speaks in the way he moves what's the point of it all what's the point of it all did you ever ask yourself that and like I don't want to say midlife crisis because it's such a badly used phrase for so much bullshit, but it really feels like Crowley is having some kind of crisis of existence, of purpose, of identity. I don't know, but it feels like he is having a crisis.
0: I literally wrote down, why does Crowley feel so depressed? And so
1: I hope he finds some new motivation. Mm-hmm. And I mean it kind of makes sense because like later on we also see he apparently doesn't have a home anymore because he drives around with his plants in the back seat so he has to live in his car which makes sense because he doesn't sleep and eat and anything so he can do that
0: but should he want to is the real question or
1: is he doing it because he wants to or why is he doing it so like, there is a lot of displacement within crowley mm-hmm. which makes sense because he doesn't have a mission anymore he doesn't have a purpose anymore and For him, this is not the first time that he has lost it. Because in the beginning, he had a job of creating the universe. And then only to learn, "Ah, in a few thousand years, we're going to fuck all of this up anyway. And then he fell. And then he had a new purpose, which he did very well and very easily. And then he had a new purpose with preventing Armageddon. Mm -hmm. And right now, he doesn't have any purpose. Yet. So I think Crowley actually is a creature... That needs to have a purpose to be really happy. Mm. No matter how blasé he talks about, like, oh no, it's not really important. Mm. Like like he did when he was still, like, working for hell. But I think he needs a purpose and he, in this moment, still is without one. So, yeah, I'm curious how it's going to go for him. But he is definitely depressed. Like I also read him like that.
0: Mm. So, throughout a weird chain of thoughts throughout your monologue, I <laughs> realized one thing. It has to do with one of the last Things that I have to point out in the scene, and that is Crowley feels down, but he still yells at, and it's part of the reason why he feels kind of weird. He yells at the spies that they shouldn't feed bread to the ducks because it's wrong, it's bad for them, and And then gives us, and he is correct, and then he gives us the little tidbit I love when Crowley educates us uh, that (laughs) we should feed them frozen peas because. They love it and it's good for them. I did not know that, by the way. I knew that bread was bad, but I didn't know what was good. So hence the happiness about self-education I'm about Crowley education. Thanks, teacher Crowley. Then my brain was like, well, how do we know that they feed them bread? Because we heard that in season one. And then my brain was like, but who told us? Oh, God told us. Oh, there's no voiceover so far.
1: Yeah, this season we don't have God there.
0: Does that mean that God is not paying attention? God doesn't Anymore, care because the this plan is no got longer. Canceled? Yeah, this is is this no longer part of the plan? You know, that just opens a new that kind of That is a problem. really,
1: really good point. And I did not even clock it. I only realize that now, so. That is a really good point, that we have not had any voiceover from God, which we had the entire first season.
0: hmm
1: Especially with seeing how actively involved in the creation of the universe Crowley was, the now absence of God is even more striking. Huh. <sighs> Damn, no, that is a really good point. That is a really good point. I'm very happy. Thank you.
0: I have chills. Nice. Thank you. So we close off this scene with Frozen Bees and we go to the coffee shop. Give me
1: coffee or give me death.
0: First of all, love the name. And then we get to meet another character that is Apparently not so new.
1: No, because that is Nina Sosanya, and that is the actress who played Sister Mary Loquacious.
0: Which mind blown! I did not connect <laughs> that. My, I'm an, I'm an idiot. Yeah, that's all I can say about that. Because the only thing that I realized is that I was like. I know her from somewhere. And then I was like, oh, she was in Doctor Who. That is correct. She was also in Love Actually. Which and I was is like,
1: what I talked about when she shows up in season one. That I'm like, oh, and I keep forgetting where I know her
0: from. Mm-hmm. And my brain was like, satisfied. I know her from that. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, we maybe meet a new character. We don't really know. But we also get back to Maggie. Then I was like, Ech, okay, and they're just very obnoxious. So, first of all, I'm going to say, Nina as a barista, I completely understand. As myself, as a barista, <laughs> I too remember people's orders over people's names. Of course.
1: The relevant information.
0: Exactly. There's not enough space for that. I remember the names of their dogs, but not the names of... Priorities. The people. Exactly. So, you know, it goes... Order, puppy, nothing, 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 your name.
1: And only if you're very, very
0: nice or very, very obnoxious. Or if you're there often enough and you tell me your name often enough. You know, if any of my customers listen to this, you know yourselves (laughs) how long it took me to remember your names. Some of your names I still do not remember. So feel free to happily remind me every single time you see me. I will definitely not find it obnoxious. Okay,
1: we leave the coffee shop because there is a commotion on the outside. Everyone is staring and staring, and so obviously our two uh, ladies also go outside, and we see a very naked Gabriel with a box in front of his crotch, which is hilarious to me because this is kind of like the gag gift with like I have a gift for you, and then it's the penis <gasps> in the box.
0: Oh my God! Yeah. Ah. I, I know this video.
1: You know, and with him being naked and obviously they don't uh, gallivant around with dicks hanging out. So we use the box as a nice uh, visual prop.
0: I mean, they could. They're on a streaming service, but they
1: don't. And that is fine. Like, we don't need full nudity for people, especially if they don't want to. So why? It works this way. Perfect. Of course, the moment we see a box, instantly we have to go, What's in the box? What's in the box? And I lost it a bit when we wrapped this scene up because they leave the box outside.
0: I know. So, this whole moment of Gabe coming up to the bookshop, I. Gabe, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Oh, Fuck man. yeah, Gabe. You mean Jim? Yeah. Short for James, which is short for Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I have watched this scene with a keen eye observing every single detail because I am convinced that the tomatoes falling on the ground and the singular person outside of the crowd standing next to a car watching him coming up to the door they are going to be important they're not definitely not going to be important I know that but I want them to be important because I noticed I saw it happen
1: what? The, the tomatoes? Or did I miss something?
0: No, there's, there's definitely the tomatoes. And there, then, in the very last moment before we get the whole Zarephal and Gabe reunited moment... They have an aerial shot and everybody is just kind of in this big semicircle watching them. Except for one guy that's randomly standing next to a car that is <laughs> so close to the door. And I'm like, what, what, is this? who is this person? Why is he singled out outside of a crowd? But Everybody else is part of a crowd. So,
1: you know. That is very curious. I did not notice this. So we'll see if it's going to be important. And if yes... You're on record for <laughs> spotting it right away.
0: Yes. Look at me
1: go. I'm going to get this out of the way so I don't complain about it later. If Gabriel doesn't remember anything, how can he know where to go? First of all, that. And I'm very happy that Aziraphale asks this question later on.
0: Why did he hug Aziraphale if he doesn't know who he is?
1: Yeah. So I'm very happy that Zerifel later on addresses at least some of my concerns. Also, it seems to me that Gabriel's brain is scrambled in a way that he also keeps forgetting new things and that he doesn't understand a lot of things that he should be understanding.
0: Yes, it's weird. It's 100%. It's not just amnesia. The effect seems to be
1: either lingering or actively continuing. So I'm very curious who would have the power to scramble the freaking supreme archangel's brains
0: like this. Hmm. Well, I'm gonna have maybe some theories, I think, that I wrote something down. But We're we'll see. we get to that, yeah.
1: I was surprised how long it took for Aziraphale to let Gabriel in, given the fact that there was a huge crowd of unlockers. Mm. I would have expected Aziraphale to be more like, let's get you... Big- off the street so the attention goes away, you know? You'd think, right? But also I get it, on the other hand, because Gabriel literally wanted to murder him in season one, which is something Rowley points out later on and is very, very important. But Aziraphale, as he said to Maggie, is great when it comes to forgiveness.
0: Eh, I'm still not completely on board with that. No, but it is very Aziraphale. It is very, very Aziraphale. You're right. We get to see Nina closing up the coffee shop and being a little rude to Maggie.
1: She is, in general, quite Harsh. Harsh. Harsh, yeah, harsh is the right word. But mostly, I am so confused because I don't think I could name any other character where the character and the actor have the same name,
0: like in this show or uh, ever. in ever. I've seen that multiple times. I couldn't tell you.
1: Yeah, see, so you could, you could, you could not name any.
0: But I know that I have noticed this before. It's a thing sometimes.
1: I'm very confused by reusing an actress and giving her character the same name as her actual name.
0: We'll see. I'm intrigued by all of this myself. And Maggie, of course, brings her Nina Simon, which I endorse. Which, again, Nina. <laughs> well, this is why she brings it to her, because your name is Nina, so here's there's Nina Simone. And I endorse that, because Nina Simone is amazing. And one last thing I want to say. I kind of empathize with Nina on one hand, though, because she is closing up the shop and I am not necessarily the nicest and loveliest of human being when I am doing that at work and people come up to me and ask me stupid questions I mean ask me unnecessary questions
1: so I mean it's very obvious that Maggie is hitting on Nina and Nina is shutting it down
0: yes yes exactly
1: because please don't hit on people at their workspace yes we go to heaven and Michael is there Michael we of course know from the last season And Michael is the one who was in contact with the other side. So I, of course, am very, very skeptical how involved Michael is in all of this. You know, basically as the black ops guy of heaven, I would assume Michael to be more in the know than he lets on. But also, Michael seems to be going for a power grab in this episode. Yep. So I'm I'm very, very curious
0: See, in this moment, we learn about extreme sanctions. We don't get that explained just yet. But the words are used. And I was trying to figure out, which obviously we don't get an answer to at any point in this episode. Did Gabriel run off? himself? Was he cast out? Any of those things? Did any of those things lead to his amnesia or whatever we would call it? Has it been done to him or by him? There's a lot of unknown that have been scrambling in my brain at this point.
1: We also get the mention of the Book of Life, not just the extreme sanctions. And they are obviously playing fast and loose with Christian details in mythology. Because, as far as I'm aware, the Book of Life is basically the list of people who will come into heaven at the end of times. It's not a record of every creature of existence. Hmm. So, it's the good book. <laughs> Like in Judaism, I think there's also the bad book, like the book of the wicked, the book of the dead, which has like the opposing list. So um, they're playing a bit fast and loose but I did not go into detail on this because we're not really doing we have not talked about if we're doing details and music sections for the second season which we probably should have (laughs) yeah we never talked about it so yeah as far as I understand it's a book of the righteous and not a record of everything despite being named the book of life
0: Hmm. Mm. Mm. and this quick insert of heaven is finished by us going back into the bookshop
1: it's literally 15 seconds long it's
0: hilarious it's It's so tiny snip snip snip
1: we go back into the bookshop and the angel cup makes a return with yet again hot cocoa in it i do wonder if a Zerofell ever pours anything but hot cocoa into this specific cup
0: now this is an interesting question because i personally have specific cups for specific beverages of course you do well it's not that i consciously choose to do that but like some of my beverages just fits the best into specific mugs or cups. And I have the same thing with like, I have a bowl that I use for my breakfast eggs, and then I have a bowl that I use for my lunch. It's a different bowl, and I'm very specific about the type of. Do I need
1: to remind you that you're a zero and I'm Crowley? Oh, God.
0: Not again.
1: Okay, sorry, I had to remind you. <laughs> but just like you have done this episode already, Aziraphale also sometimes asks the relevant questions that I need and I'm not even sometimes aware of. So here he starts questioning Gabriel, and it's very, very adorable because of the way Gabriel answers, because he answers with another question with the, have you ever known a feeling when you don't know anything, but you go to this one person and then everything is going to be all right. And Aziraphale is like, no, I don't know what that
0: feels like at all.
1: No. And he's so flustered. It's There's so There's a half a second
0: before he says that when his face goes like, oh, I know what you're talking about, but he immediately snaps out of it. It's like, nope, nope, I don't know what you're talking about. So
1: fucking flustered. It's so adorable. And this is one of the instances that you talked about in the beginning, the face acting of Michael Sheen. Damn. There are no
0: micro expressions. There are only macro expressions on that face. <laughs> it's incredible but speaking of performances in this scene john ham is also hamming ugh, it up killing it hamming it up i love this whole moment with the hot chocolate i wonder how much of that was actually scripted and how much of that is just him having fun with it just out of curiosity.
1: Gabriel made a point of stating in season one that he would never sully this temple of his body. Temple of whatever. And so this is literally the very, very first time Gabriel has ever consumed anything. So him being so into the experience of the different fields in your mouth, in your throat, in your stomach. And like you can relate to that. When you drink something warm, you can feel it wander down. Like, yes, that's a thing. That is a thing. So it's it tracks.
0: It's beautiful, but also I have noted that regardless of Gabe's amnesia or whatever is going on with him, he is still an asshole. Yes,
1: his character shines through.
0: It's the beauty of sometimes when you have a character go through losing their memory It tends to erase their entire personality and they're like this blank page or whatever. This is not the case. He is still a very much gay. Entitled, invasive. Obnoxious. Stubborn. Anxiety-inducing. Annoying. Asshole.
1: Yeah. Like literally my next line is Gabriel is getting very annoying for me.
0: Yeah. And this (laughs) is the beauty of... Both writing and acting, having this still come through, even though we have somebody who has literally zero idea who they are and why they're there, Mm -hmm. I think is just really beautiful. It's a take that I haven't actually seen, I don't think, when we talk about amnesia like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it brings the question for me what is actually going on with him?
1: They only deleted his information because he knows
0: everything else. Not his personality, yeah. He can speak, for example, no problem.
1: And of course, we have to end this scene with the, oh, there is a box. And so once again, I say, what's in the box? (laughs)
0: What's in the box? And I was like, finally, the box.
1: But before we get to look inside the box, we have to pop away for a moment. And this is my mystery location. Where are we? It's an alley. Yeah, but where are we? It's driving me fucking crazy. We are here twice.
0: Yeah, it clearly is somewhere where Crowley parked his car.
1: Yeah. But why? I'm so fucking confused. Where is this?
0: Maybe Aziraphale and Crowley have an apartment together. No. And they each have their own space still. So Crowley has the car and Aziraphale has the bookshop. But they live together.
1: No. But maybe Azurthal doesn't know that Crowley doesn't have a space anymore.
0: I don't know. That's an interesting... Well, I'm hoping that this is something that we're going to get to learn. Yeah, but they better tell us.
1: Because it's the same alley twice, so there has to be a reason why he's parking there. Exactly. And we have a short interaction with Shax.
0: This is the moment where we actually f- learn Shax's name, right?
1: I think we know we get her name because I wrote down in scene three Shax. Yeah. Shax shows up and she does not understand sarcasm, which, yes, it's a classic trope. I hope we move on from it. But much more importantly, we go back into the bookshop. To the box. And what's in the box, Vero? A fly. Nothing.
0: Nothing's in the box. Or yeah, is there a... a fly? No, there was. Did you see a fly there? There is certainly a fly in the bookshop after Zeraphel opens the box. And I think that I saw a fly inside the box, but I am not 100% sure. So this is my headcanon now that it's a fly.
1: I'm going to have to go back and watch the entire episode again and freeze frame the shit out of it. It shows that it's been a while that we did an episode and not a movie. Because in a movie, I'm not that like, oh, look at this tiny detail, look at this tiny detail. And I'm out of practice, it seems. Well,
0: I don't know this 100%.
1: No, but I will go back. I will go back. Usually I can answer
0: that and be like, no, there was none. Or, yes, there is. So this is the scene where Zirafel calls Crowley and we get a look through the bookshelves at gym because now we have a gym And we hear a buzzing of a fly. And I do not believe that they would leave it there just because there is a random fly. I am 100% on the train of there is a reason there is a fly. And the fly was in the box because the fly wasn't around before the box was opened. So then again, there is a question. Is the fly a person that Gabriel miracled into a fly? Or an angel? Or is it actually a spy of Beelzebub? Because that's the obvious option. Or is it just a random fly? Which I do not believe. You know, there's a few possibilities and my brain is going intense. I'm not going to
1: indulge in any of that until (laughs) I went back to the scene and actually took a look at it. Okay. So I can't really go on to the fly tangent because I did not see any fly. No, right. But as you said, this is the scene where we call Crowley and... Once again, I ask myself, why is he driving around with plants in his backseat? It's... Very, very confusing to me. But before we learn anything more from our inevitable husbands, we pop up to heaven, and in the center of the screen there is a box of matches, and on the matches there is a quote which I painstakingly wrote down, only to then see that it zooms in and that we get it in more readable. <laughs> so that means it's important, and it is Job forty-one nineteen, which is "Out of his mouth go burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out." Job is about Leviathan and Leviathan together with uh god what's his fucking name Behemoth are Mm -hmm. end of times monsters oh that exist in both uh Judaism and Christianity I don't remember if they exist in Islamic lore as well but Leviathan big big thing it's basically it's a water serpent it's a the water monster in all of the, the or christian lore.
0: Interesting. I didn't know And that. there would be
1: like a shit ton of information about that. Like that would be a
0: very, 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 very long
1: tangent. Like Christians, sometimes Leviathan is the devil, sometimes not. And it's like, there's it's, 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 it's a lot. <laughs> but <laughs> mostly in this scene with the way the angel interacts with the box... I have written down, what, and I say this lovingly, the fuck is going on? <laughs> I am so confused. And we're not even halfway through the episode. And I only have questions and no answers.
0: So excited. Ah, This is, again, a very short insert of heaven happenings. And we head back to the coffee shop. And this is where Crowley is meeting Zirafel.
1: And it's so cute. It's so cute because he asks him, how did you know something?" wrong and she goes tone of voice
0: i know it's super cute also i am very sorry i just realized that i skipped the whole uh, getting the album that's happening at the end of this scene <laughs> because the coffee shop is not yet closed but yeah take that tangent that i had 10 minutes ago and insert it at the end of this scene, but yes, we have Crowley and Ezrafel meeting at the coffee shop, and it's so cute.
1: And he orders six shots of espresso in one cup, which is wow,
0: too much even for me.
1: I mean, I think there have been days where I did six espressos, but I was not a happy person. Also, did you pay attention that they steal the plate that the cookies come on?
0: Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. I, to be fair, am not 100% behind the whole stealing thing. I would be very much happy thinking that they have this thing going on that he just takes...
1: Zerophel is going to bring the
0: plate back, yes. And he is going to bring it back. So this is something that I have... it, It was like a deal with somebody living nearby. If they bring it back, they can certainly take it home with them. Or they can just come out with their own mug. And we would make the coffee into their own mug. It's like this whole... I didn't have a problem with that. I found it funny, but <laughs> it's believable to me.
1: Yep. And sadly, they are leaving and we stay behind in the coffee shop with Maggie and Nina. And it's a bit cute, but it's also a bit sad that Maggie is very, very obviously into Nina. Mm-hmm. And Nina has no interest whatsoever. But to be fair, she makes it very clear with um, wanting to go home to my partner, which is basically the nicest way to let someone down
0: yes and watching them close the only thing that was in my head the entire scene was a song called closing time that is often in my head when i close a shop anyway Do you know the song? It's a great song. Closing Mm. time. No more time for alcohol. And I'll send you a link. Put
1: it in the notes so our patrons can also listen to it. We have a beautiful conversation between Aziraphale and Crowley. With the exactlies. And I didn't think it was possible to have that many exactlies in one sentence.
0: But holy shit, they did. They did. And more importantly, a lot of them mean something different. Yeah, welcome to English. It's incredible. I love it. But also, we completely rolled through this... Conversation where Nina tells Crowley there's a naked man inside of Azrafel's shop, and Crowley's face just goes, What? And there's a hint of jealousy, and I am there for it. It's very adorable.
1: I didn't read him as jealous, but Azrafel is extremely uncomfortable about all of this. Mm. Yes.
0: I feel like Crowley is, it's not like jealous, jealous. It's more like, oh, and like, maybe there's like a hint of jealousy, but like also I want to know everything about it because why didn't you tell me? Is there a reason you didn't tell me? You need to tell me right now. Let's see what's going on. So, you know, excited. I loved it. But obviously we have Jim come out and Crowley is, do we know any Jims?
1: It's adorable with the him coming out and then, what are you doing here, dusting?
0: And I expected him to ask, when he said, did you ask him properly? Properly. <laughs> it's so cute. When he I wondered, it. I expected him to use some sort of a magic trick or like a demon-like power, something that he used on... And all the- he
1: does is talk very over enunciated. It's, wow.
0: I mean, it's great, but it's also, it's giving me the vibes of people who don't speak the language of tourists and they're trying to if I speak slow enough they're going to understand which is obnoxious as fuck
1: slower and louder and then it will work not Uh, yeah (laughs) but as funny as the scene is this also obviously leads to the first fight so my amusement is very very much well dampened
0: I am Throughout this fight, I have to say I'm on Crowley's side because I understand where Azrafel is coming from. However, Crowley sees the danger to him, to his way of life, to his relationship with Azrafel. And he resented and he doesn't want to be anywhere near it, which feels like the correct approach.
1: No, because it's rather short-sighted. Something is amok and their way of life is going to be threatened one way or the other if there are shenanigans happening with heaven and or hell. And if Gabriel loses his memory, which is unheard of, then there are shenanigans happening. And it's better to be closer to it and to be in the know and then potentially be able to do something about it than to just throw it into a ditch and pretend it never happened and then be blissfully ignorant and not able to potentially do something about it. For once, I'm not with Crowley.
0: If you put it this way, whatever, you're right, you're right, I guess you're right, I'm sorry, you were right, whatever.
1: I get it on the emotional level that... Yeah, the first reaction. He does not want to have Aziraphale and himself put in more danger than is necessary. Yeah. And the approach of Aziraphale is also all or nothing. There is no room for debate on either side, which is a bit problematic because, in my opinion, it doesn't fit them. Their entire existence together has been about compromise. The entire agreement was, I do you a boon, you do me a boon. We work together, teamwork. And now to have this all or nothing, my way or the highway approach makes no sense to me. So I'm very, very confused why, but I guess we'll see how it goes. And we also need the fight, obviously, to later get the you were right and I was wrong dance
0: why wow, I love it, it so much We're, we're so gonna so talk good.
1: about that But I also was very very surprised How loose Crowley lets Suddenly when he like when he goes out And he's like oh like take a breath That's what humans do Count until 10 before you do something stupid And he is so angry that he has A visible reaction
0: mm-hmm. Like
1: he creates lightning basically So A didn't know he could do that So okay wow Like new skill added to the yeah. skill tree Yeah <laughs> But also, this is something that has never happened before, as far as we're aware. So nothing has made him this angry until now. And that seems like an overreaction, which once again leads me to believe that Crowley is having a crisis. He is not stable, he is not happy, despite living the best outcome that was possible after season one. So I'm very curious what actually is going on within Crowley.
0: We don't have nowhere near as enough information to to continue this debate just yet.
1: Before we leave the coffee shop straight, and the, the shop straight rather, we realize that Maggie and Nina are now locked in the coffee shop because in case of a power failure, the shop locks down. And I'm like, what? Why? That
0: makes no sense. Like, what? Yeah, exactly why. And that is
1: the moment I start being fed up with Maggie and Nina because I don't care. Like... They are not likable enough for me to care about them, neither of the two of them. And two, they are doing nothing to the story so far. So for me, it is wasted screen time that could be spent on something else. Obviously, there is a deliberate choice to have them there. So yes, I understand it, but I don't care yet about them. And three, it makes no sense to me. This is a fucking coffee shop on a street in London. Are there like the full lockdown that happens there in case of a power outage? It's like, why? automatic lock system like, like no honey no unless she's like a secret agent or something maybe it turns out Nina is Sister Mary Lacrocious and she's actually having an alternate identity after the end of the world that didn't happen or something and then I'm gonna eat my fucking words because then it's gonna make more sense because then she knows of the existence of demons and angels and everything
0: but then she would recognize Crowley right she should so yeah it makes no sense and I'm annoyed <laughs> that they're, they're like she goes for a drink at this point and oh god the judging Did not judging the ju- oh, oh hate I, it yeah, judging happens in the next scene and I'm like I do not want that um, now plot twist <clears throat> they are locked in the same even though Nina has mentioned that her partner gets very nervous if she doesn't get home and I'm like huh smells Abusive, but we'll get to that a little bit more again later on. Now we have finally a little bit longer scene in heaven. Oh yeah, we have Uriel and Michael debating who is going to be in charge, and if. You were to decide who is more competent. Is it going to be Uriel or Michael, in your Uriel opinion? Uriel
1: is not aiming to be in charge. Uriel says that there only is one, and that is Gabriel. So I would go with Uriel because a leader who is a reluctant leader is usually one who will abuse their power less.
0: Yeah, that is a very well-worded answer. Thank you. I did not expect that to be so <laughs> thought through. As I was like, um. Maybe I would say Michael is an asshole, so he shouldn't be that. That is my answer to that question. (laughs) Honey, how
1: many years have we done this? How are you still surprised that sometimes I work like this? (laughs) No, you're absolutely correct in this. No. No, I'm with you, though. It is like the base question, which one of them. But sadly, it seems that Uriel is too reluctant to fight Michael for the power grab.
0: Also... Since Michael is being so aggressive for the power grab, it does make me believe that he is behind the disappearance of Gabe.
1: He has to be involved in some way, I think. It would be very surprising if he wasn't involved at all. And maybe because we know that Michael is the black ops guy for heaven and in contact with hell. And we also know that hell has interests and with you potentially seeing the fly, it might be a co-op. With Belzebub and Michael working together for something. So it would not be really far-fetched. Like, this is the least far-fetched theory that we have started now. <laughs> Shared apartment, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I also feel that Uriel decides to stop fighting Michael for this because shit starts happening. And basically, to me, it feels like the, oh, you wanted to be in power. Well, then deal with this. Yes.
0: And that is going to get reconfirmed with the alarm at the end
1: and so this is i appreciate that
0: yes that is nice it's a bit of a fuck you to michael and i i am here for that now we get to finally learn the name of the angel who picks up the matchbox her name is muriel and i love her outfit like i would love to to cosplay Muriel because that skirt alone I did not
1: even pay attention to her outfit I'm sorry
0: if you look at the outfit it's kind of cool and it's all white but it has like a plate folded in the skirts uh-huh. and the front of the skirt is slightly shorter than the back of the skirt and it's very intricate and I really really like it and she's got these Oxford shoes on that are white with like gold details as well that we saw details in the previous scene when she's picking up the box.
1: Yeah, because we see her shoes there, but I did not pay attention to that. You
0: are on detail hunt this episode. Listen, I told you, I watched the episode three times since yesterday.
1: (laughs) So Muriel approaches them very shyly. It's very, very adorable. And we learn that nothing we see in heaven are actual objects, which is very, very interesting to me because the way they react with this is an actual object means nothing else can be. And the way how careful... Michael like slides the box open to one side and to the other side and they are basically scared of the box. Also, they they do not
0: fully open the box.
1: Yeah, because it's a pain in the ass to get it back in once you fully open it. So I'm pretty sure that is like practical reason and not
0: a fly hiding in there. I am convinced that Beelzebub is bugging the place. And it is. Literally. There was a, yes, <laughs> there is a fly inside the box on the inside of the wrap. And because they never open it fully. Yes.
1: I get you. I get you. But it's really, really wild to me that they are visibly scared of physical objects, because I would imagine angels to have power over matter. So, hmm, curious, curious. But apparently objects are not supposed to exist in heaven, and this is basically the issue.
0: One more little detail on this scene. The framing of the scene uh, reminds me of the works of one Richard Spade Jr. by the cinematography.
1: So, the director is the same one as season 1 for all episodes. Very good. But we have an additional writer. Ooh. So, Neil Gaiman, obviously, but we also have John Finnemore, and he is a new addition for season 2. He was not involved in season one
0: and speaking of bugged mm-hmm. uh we have crowley getting back into his car in the same fucking alley
1: yeah we're back to my mystery location i literally like mark it with three question marks so once again i say where are we and why are the plants in the backseat so yeah but this scene is so disgusting like well well like my skin is crawling now just Thinking of it, like,
0: uh, uh. this is the scene where Beelzebub comes to. Crowley and it's like oh fun to seeing you here and Crowley's like well you're the one who came here so fuck off and they get transported to hell.
1: Which I do wonder are they actually transported because like Beelzebub and Crowley are sitting on like two chairs down in hell which are set up exactly the same way as the car.
0: Beelzebub gets up and walks around so I would assume yes but then again he was made out of flies. Exactly so it's like woohoo metaphysics. weird. Uh, I realized at this point that Beelzebub's accent is slightly different from season one Which makes sense because we have a new actor
1: I'm not a fan so far I have to say I preferred Anna's way of acting Beelzebub This feels to me very overacted compared to season one And I enjoy season one more so far
0: I see where you're coming from but I am enjoying the different accents and I I did stop and realize that there is a lot of different accents in this season specifically and unfortunately I do not know accents and uh, places in England well enough to be able to place them. So if you do then let us know do you listener. That would be really cool actually if we could find a list of each character's accents because obviously we know nor Davidson and nor Michael Sheen are using their own accents for their roles. So where is this coming from? Is it just a generic uh, when I do English accent? <laughs> when this I is what I English. sound like. Or is it a specific area that is chosen for a specific reason? And is this the case with all the other actors as well? Are they choosing the accent they are speaking with on the show? Or is it just what it comes out as?
1: So that is my question. We need an excellent person. That would be great.
0: That would be great. So if you are one of these people, please slide into our DMs. And do not spoil us for the rest of the show please because we have probably by the time this comes out in about three days we have maybe saw a second episode and that's about it.
1: (laughs) The last thing before this scene that is relevant to me is that now we get the hell mention of extreme sanctions and the book of life. And I'm pretty sure this is the moment we get the information that you will be deleted from...
0: You will be deleted. Exterminate. Yes. This is when we find out. The last thing we get to see before we move to the dreaded coffee shop scene is Crowley coming back from hell and seeing the reaction he has to this news. And to me, this says, I have to save Zerophel from extreme sanctions. Because I cannot live without my angel.
1: Also, it's not just live without. If you're stricken stricken from the book of life, you have never existed. So their past will be erased.
0: Yes, he would have never... He would have never known him. Known him. And Crowley can't imagine that. So he would rather have both of them erased than just Azrafel. He doesn't want to live in a world where Azrafel doesn't exist. Which, that's love. (laughs) Shut up. Makes sense. You're right.
1: It makes sense. And now he finally... with the okay we need to get on board but now we have to go to the coffee shop and my note literally is nina is less and less likable next line same goes for maggie
0: (laughs) my first note is and my dislike of maggie grows
1: yeah both are not doing it for me i'm sorry but especially the whole like not judging like honey
0: you're so judging, literally saying no judgment i'm like in all caps no judgment no judgment if you say no judgment there's all the judgment
1: it's like there are scenes there are moments where you can say no judgment and actually mean no judgment yeah but not in that tone of voice
0: no and not in that context because and even nina's reaction to that is like yeah that's right because you have no authority to cast any judgment
1: nina is in a much more awkward position i Feel more for her than I do for Maggie. Yes, but Nina is also like uh, not winning any brownie points with me at the moment.
0: So at this moment, it seems to me, without any context that we're going to get at the end of this scene, that Nina might be in an abusive relationship.
1: We're going to talk about that at the end. So we very quickly cut over to Crowley driving. He's driving. He is driving as usual. It's there's only space for one of us uh, in this lane, and it ain't you. Like it's 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 great. So it's very very quick. <sighs>
0: I call it the Crowley Sassy Driving.
1: And he stops, of course, in front of their shop, notices them with their nice little signs, which smart, I appreciate that. And it's like, oh, oops, sorry. And he snaps and they have electricity. The doors unlock, the power goes on and they have reception again. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is the moment where all the texts from Lindsay are coming in. So now... Lindsay, as far as I know, is a woman's and a boy's name, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So we don't know if Nina is in a hetero or homosexual relationship, which, yay, here for that. But the texts are wild. But I'm not sure who's the problem in the relationship because I wrote all the messages down that we can see. I'm so done with this. I am a real person. I matter, why don't you care? You have a great deal of explaining to do. Something, something, enough of this, Nina. At least one of us takes this relationship seriously. Please remember what we agreed about mutual respect. Where the hell are you? And these messages can be read both ways. It can be that Nina is... A cold, non-sharing, non-open person in this relationship And has a partner who desperately needs and wants Nina to open up Or that Nina is in an abusive relationship With an overly controlling and demanding partner Mm -hmm. But as of now, I don't have enough information To be sure which one of the two it is
0: See, this is the thing why I was mentioning it before, because from the information that we've had up until this point, it was giving me the vibe Nina is in an abusive relationship and it's coming from the partner. While stopping and reading the texts and seeing things and her behavior, it is uncertain. And I say, por que no los dos? They might just not be working as a couple.
1: They might also just not be good for each other, but some of these texts are also not abusive in the classic abusive sense, but also abusive in the manipulative sense. Exactly. Because the I'm a real person, I matter, why don't you care can be without enough context. It can be either that Nina is incredibly dismissive of her partner's needs, which would track seeing how she behaves with other people around her. Or it could be that this is a manipulation from her partner. So we don't know enough yet, which is the repeated thing about episode one. And yes, I know that is the point of an episode one. Don't send me a message that it's episode one and this is why you have more questions than answers. I am aware, but this is a podcast. I'm supposed to be complaining.
0: It's my job. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, though. Um, And same. To me, the difference is I don't get as frustrated as you with not having answers.
1: I like being frustrated. It's called delayed gratification, honey. And speaking of delayed gratification, we now have to go to the bookshop because all of this was worth it. All of this... The entire episode, all of my wanderings, all of my complaints, everything. Everything was worth it for Dom Xerophel. Seriously, this entire scene, him pouting, him expecting the apology, him making sure he gets the apology, him having Crowley do the dance, and then him standing there. I was just like, this is such strong Dom Xerophel energy. And in season one, I would never have thought that. Aziraphale would be like the dom in their dynamic but
0: oh boy oh boy well he's the one that is more likely to manipulate Crowley
1: but this is not manipulation this is he basically I want the apology and so he gets it I want the dance and so he gets it it's like I tell you and you do
0: Mm, yeah I love that so much it's so fucking good and oh the I was wrong dance.
1: Mwah. I could have done without the dance, but it is very funny. But also it is very descriptive for their relationship because Aziraphale starts counting down the times that he had to do the dance.
0: See, to me, this is exactly what I... I can totally see azrafel doing the dance and Crowley pushing him into it and having him create the dance. And this, like azrafel being the one who turns it against him for what it seems like a first time in history, I... Love it. But really, he has grown. Like, it feels... He has learned more about his own needs as well.
1: In season one, at the end, because it's actually one of our questions in the list, when was the moment Aziraphale ran out of Fox? We have that as a question for episode six. And I feel like ever since then, the Dom Aziraphale has started to emerge. <laughs> and I am here for it. I am so here for it.
0: Also, I feel like Crowley is absolutely there for it. Like, he he has been waiting for that since before the beginning. Yes, yes. But also Crowley's face at the end of the dance, like, fuck, are you happy now? But he is also pleased.
1: Yes. No, so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy and they're back together, happy together. No more fighting. We happy are now on the together. same side and that is great. And they are so proud of each other and themselves and it's so adorable. So this scene made it all worth it for me and of course like now we get like the each doing half a miracle and we're so smart that we thought about this and oh yeah see like it took and we did so great and
0: nobody noticed and (laughs) of course they noticed I'm like I literally like smashed keyboard smash
1: this (laughs) scene perfect this so good yes wonderful and everything had to lead up to this and so I know I did a lot of complaining, (laughs) but I am a very happy (sighs) Lena.
0: so good and of course we get the very ending in heaven where obviously alarms are going off there is yes they noticed they noticed also we get that moment where Uriel's like hey bitch Michael your shit's to clean up you wanted it you have it the huge stream of the purple light coming out of the shop
1: yeah tiny tiny half a miracle totally not noticeable no 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 no. but what is really curious because I don't think we've seen it in season one is the ability to zoom in like that that was really cool done
0: that was very cool yeah really
1: enjoyed that visual effect and then we're done and I really have to say that episode was done quicker than I thought mm. like I, I was surprised when I was done with my notes like what what that that's it what yeah same so I'm super super intrigued and then no more notes to take but of course the usual wrapping it up general faults needed to be written down and mine are very short this time because I was still so fucking confused. I still am so this is basically all I have to say I only have questions. Why are we getting the Maggie-Nina side story? Why are we having the same actress for Nina as we already had for another role? Why is she named Nina when the actress is named Nina? Where is the place the crowdiest part? Why do the plans live in his backseat? Is he actually living in his car in the moment? Does the Zerifel know that he's living in his car in the moment? What is happening? And even if he is living in his car, why does he keep driving back to the same spot in the same alley? So there has to be something there and not just a trash can that he uses to throw things out. Ah, uh, Some of the details, as I pointed out, are getting on my nerves. I really hope that some of the shticks are easing out now. So very, very hopeful. But I honestly cannot wait to watch the next episode. And I actually might do that the moment we're done.
0: Well, funny you say that. Because... <sighs> What a return. I am so excited about everything in this episode. It's so perfect, I could cry. And I nearly did. But, details. And, you know, cry with excitement, not with any other emotion. You don't have emotions. Exactly. Details. The ineffable husbands are alive and well. They clearly have been seeing each other this whole time, but keeping it under wraps. We get uh, new characters' introductions, mainly... Nina and Maggie and so far I am not the biggest fan of either however I am curious about their story because I want to know why are they relevant because they are obviously relevant and then we get to learn about Muriel I love Muriel all right let's wrap this up so I can go watch the next episode goodbye
1: (laughs) (laughs) and with this we say thank you for listening
0: If you want to follow us
1: on social media, you can find us as the Apple of Truth on Twitter and Instagram.
0: We will keep you updated if and when Twitter crashes and burns. You can also send us
1: your comments and complaints to goodomens at taot-podcast.com
0: If you want to get that sweet, sweet extra content early episode release and more
1: like six seasons of another show more
0: head to patreon.com slash podcast. And if you you like
1: what you hear, please do write us a positive iTunes review.
0: They help a ridiculous amount.
1: And don't forget to pester all your friends about us. Thank,
0: Thank you. you.
1: Bye. Bye.